everybody, and welcome to Dine with the Divine. I'm your host, Ashley, and together we'll be exploring the magical, the mystical, and everything in between. On today's episode, we'll just be talking a lot about witchy stuff. Yay! Okay, I hope everyone is having a great week, and if you're not, I really hope it gets better soon. We have a fantastic guest, somebody that I actually mention constantly on this podcast because I use her books for all my references. I'm so fangirling a little bit. So <laughs> we have the fantastic and wonderful Judica Illis. So Judica Illis is a lifelong student lover and practitioner of the magical arts. She's the author of numerous books devoted to spells, spirits, and witchcraft, including the best-selling Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells and the Encyclopedia of Spirits, as well as Pure Magic, Daily Magic, in the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft and the Encyclopedia of Mystics, Saints, and Sages, Magic When You Need It, and The Wiser Field Guide to Witches. Judica is the editor and curator of two books of mystical fiction, The Wiser Book of the Fantastic Forgotten and The Wiser Book of Occult Detectives. A certified aromatherapist, she has been a professional tarot card reader for over three decades. A native New Yorker, Judica teaches in U.S. and internationally, live and virtually. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you here. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no problem. Oh my gosh, I literally mention you on almost every single what? podcast because I use the Encyclopedia Spirits for everything. Literally, it's like my first go-to reference for everything. Oh, thank you. Yes, and I just love it. It's so great. I've learned so much and things I never knew. It's really cool. It's like one of the best reference books I have. I, I absolutely adore. That's what I wanted yeah. it to be. My books, I'm a practical person and I wanted people to be able to use my books. Because like, mm -hmm. a lot of books, people buy them and they don't read them or they put them on the shelf or the coffee table. And I really wanted, it makes me happy when people tell me they use them as references or they show me the books and they're like all dog-eared and... <laughs> Eaten up and oil stains. I love that. It makes me so happy. Oh, good. I'm so happy. Okay, great. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, <laughs> my, <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm literally fangirling because I just, like, I have so... Okay, I have too many of your books. Okay. So <laughs> well, no. You can never tell a writer that. <laughs> okay. There's no such thing as too many books. Oh, God. Okay. So, okay. My first question I wanted to ask you, I ask everybody... So how did your kind of spiritual, how did your spiritual journey begin? People ask me these questions all the time. Mm -hmm. It is probably the most popular question. And I don't have a good, I wish I had a clever answer or I had this experience. But I really just think I came this way. Mm. I have always been, I want to close everything but us so that we don't have those little noises. I just, it's something that has always interested me. I've just been interested in witchcraft and spells and spirits and the afterlife mm -hmm. and past lives. And it's just, I come from a family. I wouldn't say they were practitioners, but they had interest. Mm -hmm. And so I was exposed to different topics. I have a sister who's much older than I am and when she, when I was starting first grade, my sister was starting college, mm. and her, she was going to college around the corner from the old Samuel Weiser bookstore, 
And she would bring home books on astrology and numerology. And I learned to read very young because my mother taught herself English by teaching me how to read. Oh, okay. And no one ever stopped me from reading anything. Mm-hmm. They might not have explained it to me, but they didn't stop me either. <laughs> it was, they, they didn't censor me. So it was just something that I was always interested in. And it's, it's my true love. It's a yeah. lot of years later and I'm still interested. Oh, great. Yes. Ah, I know. And you, like, what I like is even with the encyclopedia of spells and the one about saints and sages, you dig into everywhere, every culture and every different aspect in the world you dig well, into. You have to represent. Yeah, exactly. Well, you have to. Because this is shared. These are shared human topics. Mm-hmm. I think spirituality and witchcraft we think about our ancestors and we're thinking about somebody a hundred years ago. Okay, maybe you didn't know them, but maybe you think your grandparents know them. But there are there were humans thousands of years ago. And these topics, I think if we could time travel back and you were dumped thousands of years ago anywhere, you could talk about ghosts. Mm-hmm. You could talk about, that's just a common human thing. You can talk, every culture's got some kind of a witch. Yeah all different kinds, positive or negative, but they've got it. Mm-hmm. And they understand it might be suppressed, it might be rejected, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean it didn't exist. Yes. And I know for myself that I, coming up as a teenager, I the books that I read in the 70s and the 80s, I could tell, I, I knew it wasn't meant badly, that the author could not conceive that someone like me was reading their book. Mm -hmm. They were writing for a very specific audience, for people just like them. Mm -hmm. And I I never want to make people feel like that with my books. It's for all of us. Yeah, that's that's part of the reason I just enjoy learning about all these different cultures because you get a lot, and this is, you get a lot of witchcraft books, right? Even now, it's better now, but seeing even that, yeah, I was, I know, and everything's just, this is for this and this is for that. And that's great. And I love the knowledge and it, nothing's wrong with it. But like, I like to know the origin of this. Like, where does yeah. this come from? Because there's certain things that like in, diff- we talked a, diff- a bunch of different episodes about the transatlantic slave trade that was mm-hmm. hoodoo, like the people in from Central or Western Africa had to come to the United States and figure out from right. their own knowledge and from indigenous people, right. what they could use that was similar to where they came from. You know what I mean? Right. There's right. not just one, like, for cleansing. We don't only have to use sage. There's a million right. different herbs oh in the world God. that we use. Right, right. Yeah. right. right. And, and I mean, beyond that, I also think if you're going to do cleansing, it, it's you can't keep using the same thing every time. Yeah. Because it's like those antibiotic-resistant. Yeah. you got to switch it out a little bit because... Oh, what about the stuff that Sage doesn't work on? Maybe you need to, you need to try something else too. Exactly. But yeah, no, I, I was shocked sometimes by the stuff that I read in books. People mm-hmm. just are pre-Christian ancestors. Some people, pre-Christian ancestors, assumes you have Christian ancestors, but not everybody mm-hmm. in the world has Christian ancestors. Exactly. Um, or our European ancestors. Not all of us have European ancestors. Or, exactly. or, or we have our ancestry goes back thousands of years. When mm-hmm. I started doing my genealogy, I was shocked by what I found. That's in a good way. I, I was happy, yeah. but it was it was surprising. 
There were things that I was not, there are things I was expecting, and then there are things I was not expecting. And I think that's true for everyone. If you can go back far enough, you will. I think all of us are just interesting. We're interesting people. And, and we should embrace that, our, our yes. own personal diversity. Absolutely. Oh my God. And that's why it's so important for us to reach into each other's cultures to learn because there's so much that we can all learn from each other. Like you said, a lot of people, they look into their background and they're like, huh, what? I didn't know that this was part of it. And then also what, especially I think in like the spiritual world, it can become problematic, but I feel that very much that there's ways that we can do it without it being a problem. Right. You can look at other people's cultures and learn something from it and not, right. and be like, wow, that's cool. And maybe I can incorporate this into my right. practice, but appreciate it and not just say I did without, it and I'm the one who invented it. Exactly. Right. Without saying right. I invented right. it. But I think that's why it's so important to learn from everybody else. Cause I'm not going to lie. Hot. This is not a hot take. The sage thing bothers me a lot. <laughs> That's what it bothers me because I'm just like, there's like a milk. First of all, rosemary's cheaper. Like, oh, it yeah. Just says, yeah, you can grow it like in your deck, oh, wherever you live. There's a reason it's so expensive. And, and one of the problems with everybody sage and, and people just say, I'm going to sage it like that's a, a euphemism for cleansing. But yeah, you, but it's become so expensive and, and it's poached the, mm -hmm. the plants and the indigenous people can't, they don't have access to it. Exactly. They can't afford it. So that's wrong. It's terrible. It's terrible. And like, yeah. And honestly, if you really, I would say, look, sometimes you just do stuff on a real budget. If you want to really cleanse your, mm -hmm. your house, you could literally just walk around with whatever, like say it was like a white candle or something and sure. just go into every room and be like, spirits, I need you to take any negative stuff out. You don't need a lot of stuff. Like, People will be like, I heard that you should use it. And there's nothing wrong with using those things. Oh, but no. Chin, yeah. Sure. Intention is 99% of practice, at least in my opinion. I make my own four thieves vinegar and the ingredients mm -hmm. come from the supermarket. And mm -hmm. you can. I just buy cooking red wine vinegar. It's not mm -hmm. expensive vinegar and herbs. And when I make it before I bottle it, as the pot is steaming, I walk it through the house. And I use, mm -hmm. the, I use the steam to cleanse. And it's an yeah. herbal vinegar garlic steam. And it's, I find it very effective. And I think you can make a bottle. It's, uh, you can probably make it for less than $5, but definitely less than $10. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's And it's all about, you can do whatever recipe that you like, but it's about, it doesn't mean you have to do the specific thing. And then also, if you do the specific thing, you should know somewhat where it should come from. It's the same way, like, when I used to use, I used to use Palo Santo, like, a lot. Yeah, like, yeah, I used yeah. to love Palo And then I found out, oh, this is not good for the environment that I'm using this. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to use it anymore. Do I love the way it smells? Absolutely. But yeah. I'm only getting it, like, from ethical places if I even yeah. do anymore. But yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, I know. I just, it's funny that you said rosemary because I just finished editing this it's a combination memoir mm. of Scott Cunningham by his sister yeah. Christine Cunningham Ashworth mm -hmm. and Scott used rosemary for everything okay and it was the name of their mother and so it had oh it had that, that extra layer of protection yeah it is love plus the power of the plant yes 
Scott Cunningham's The Magical Herb books and the one about incense and different baths and stuff. Those are two of my first real spiritual books that I remember buying from like Barnes Noble. I love those books. They've been beaten. I had to buy a second copy at one point because I let my friend borrow it once and she never returned (laughs) it. I lost my mind. I was so mad about it. Um, I'm no longer friends with this person. Um, (laughs) I don't want, sometimes I'll give people books. I don't lend out books to Justin. They never come back. So after that, I think I've lent out two or three books in my life and I was like, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, but I had to buy another copy. So it's fine. I still have it. Thank God. Because I reference it a lot too. It's a really good reference book. Oh, okay. Also, okay. I wanted to ask you, were you, have you always been a writer since you were, Young, did you always just love writing or was that something that you found that you were really good at? Writing is my skill labor. I love researching. I love that. That's a very spiritual thing that Mm -hmm. that digging, you just start digging and you see what, you go down a rabbit hole and what you find. Writing is like a necessary evil. Dorothy Parker said, I hate writing. I love having written. Mm -hmm. So I I can't, it, it is my skill labor. Like when I've needed before I was a published author, I wrote mm-hmm. people's websites. I wrote a funeral services website. Oh, I mean, wow. Some people like your skill labors. I don't know. You can cut hair or you can sew. I, mm-hmm. I, I can't do either of those particularly well, <laughs> but, um, but I can write. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna this is part of the reason I do this podcast. I love to research stuff. Like yeah. I, yeah, I go yeah. down rabbit yeah. holes and people in my life who like know me well, just know that I love to just, I'll find out one random fact and within three days, I'll know so much about it and you'll be yeah. so sick of me talking about it. No, like, it's <laughs> exciting. And I, I like talking to people and learning from people. Yeah. Uh, I like the knowledge aspect of it, but writing is hard work. Yeah. It's like serious business. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not yeah. Fun. You sit in your room all by yourself. You like have this blank screen that you have to, the first draft is never good. And so you have, it's just, but you have to have the first draft because you can't write the second draft until you've written the first draft. Yes. Yes. You know, so it's just, it's, I don't love it, but I do it. Yes. I just want to, off the cuff, this just came in my head. Do you have any advice for people who are like, they really want to write, but they don't know where to start. Do you have a first step, that a place they should start? They know they yeah. want to write about something. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you two different things. One is writing mm-hmm. for the sake of writing, and one is writing for the sake of being published. Okay. Not the same. Oh, okay. Um, I would never, fi- I know this for a fact, I would never finish anything unless I have a deadline. Okay. Uh, and I say that because I have books that I have been working on for decades because for one reason or another, no one has wanted to publish them, but mm-hmm. I love them. And so I just keep researching and adding to them. Yeah. As opposed to when you have a book contract, they say, oh, you have to submit the first draft mm-hmm. by the, the state, and then you have a little time to tweak it. And then there's a point where it goes, it, you know, it's like giving birth to a baby. Mm-hmm. When you're, when that baby is in your womb, you have control, you can eat well and take care of yourself or you cannot you know mm-hmm. you can do these things that will impact but once that baby is and of course babies are helpless and somebody has to take care of the baby but once that child is out in the world it's its own it's its own person yeah it's gonna grow up and make decisions that you may or may not like and yeah. find itself in places and when you write a book 
you don't know where that book is going to go. Books go internationally now. Yeah. You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know who's going to read it. Mm-hmm. You don't really know. How, you can't. This you have to write clearly because you don't know how people will interpret what you write. So yeah. you, you want to write as clearly as possible. My advice is to do it. That is mm-hmm. my advice. Just do it. Because it's like that first draft that's never good that takes you to the second draft. The best sentences will always be the ones that you wake up with. You're you're driving, you're at a stop sign, and this great sentence comes, and then the light changes, and you got to go, and you, and, and you can never remember, but it was brilliant. Or you wake <laughs> up at four in the morning, and it's such a brilliant sentence, and you're convinced you'll remember in the morning, and you don't. Yeah. You just agonize in your head about, oh, that was great doesn't matter put it on paper or whether it's on paper it's a digital copy just do it and my best advice to someone who wants to write is do it every day mm-hmm. just take 10 minutes or whatever it is you can and just do it and if you don't know what you want to write about then just type something yeah your name or you know that that scene in the shining where mm-hmm. in the movie where the jack nicholson character the, the wife sees all he's been typing is all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy or something. Yeah, yeah. Even that, even if you're just typing something, eventually something, it's almost like automatic writing. Eventually Mm -hmm. something else will emerge. Just do it. Like, even if you can't think of something to write, just write down, oh, I can't think of something to write. What should (laughs) I write about? Oh, maybe I should write about this. Something will come and just do it. You don't, and you don't have to tell everything you know. Mm -hmm. That was really important for me because I like to be thorough. Mm -hmm. As you can say, I write these big books. I like (laughs) to be detailed. I like to be thorough. But you don't have to write everything you know. You Mm -hmm. can keep things to yourself. You're not obligated to share all your knowledge. You you can choose. But just Mm -hmm. do it. If you are writing fiction, there's probably more money in fiction than in nonfiction. Yeah. And if you're writing fiction, you probably could use an agent mm-hmm. because, because they're going to shepherd you through the contract process. Maybe they'll get you some more money. They'll make sure that you're not signing away any rights that you should not be signing away. Mm-hmm. Nonfiction, especially metaphysical nonfiction, there's not a ton of money in it. Mm-hmm. Most meta- metaphysical authors do not have agents. You don't have to finish the whole book to get published. Mm-hmm. For, so I'm an editor for Wiser Books, and that's the publisher I know best. Mm-hmm. But I've published for a lot of other publishers. Don't show anybody your entire manuscript. I'm not talking about your significant other or your mom or your kid. Mm-hmm. Or, it's okay. But don't show anybody your entire manuscript until you have a contract and a check. Mm-hmm. People are terrible. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've heard that advice before, yeah. Usually you need to give a table of contents or an outline. Wiser Books wants two chapters. I've never had to give more than two chapters with other publishers. Mm -hmm. I believe Llewellyn at least used to want three chapters. But still, it's not a whole book. Mm -hmm. You you want to give them an introduction so the publisher knows what you want to write about and understands yeah. It's bad if they think you're writing about something and you think you're writing about something different. Yeah. That, that's not a healthy relationship. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but do it. Do yeah. it. And, and, and don't wait. There's And even if there's like other 
books on your title, there's always room for another. There's room for another tarot book. There's room for another spell book. What do you have to say that other people mm-hmm. haven't said yet? Yeah. You know? Thank you. Because I know there's a lot of... We have a lot of, we try to, I, I try to have a lot of authors here and I know a lot of people say they want to write a book and they don't know where to start. So thank you for that. That really is very helpful. I did, I did an event years ago at a store out in Port Jefferson, Long Island, mm-hmm. and it was, it's a Envision Crystal. And I haven't been there, maybe they've expanded, but at that time it was a, it was just space-wise, it was a really little store. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have room for, I was going to give a talk at a book signing. There was no room. So I think we traded a book to the to the local library, the public library, and they they gave us a room to do uh, this talk in. And I had pre- I don't I don't remember what I planned to speak about, but I had prepared it. And then when I got there, the only thing anybody wanted to talk about was how do they get published. So that's what we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, a lot of people know how movies are made, and they know how TV shows are made, but they don't know how books are made yeah that's not really common knowledge no because okay this is so embarrassing but my only knowledge of book being made is always from like a lifetime movie where like the person is a writer and like they're a very fancy writer and their agent's always calling them yelling at them because they haven't like turned (laughs) a book in like this is all i know about books and i used to have a friend who worked for a publisher but i didn't really understand it at all when he was (laughs) to me like i didn't get it so yes having books and I know there's a lot of people like who do self-publishing or yeah or like you were saying like tons yeah there's no no stigma to it anymore it used to Mm -hmm. be like like 70s 80s it was the vanity press and if you were publishing yourself it was because nobody else would publish you but it's not like that anymore Mm -hmm. it's so much easy you can do it through creative space or amazon they'll Mm -hmm. give you a template there are pros and cons. If you self-publish, you have complete control. Yeah. You can do, because publishing with a publisher is collaborative. And you have to enjoy that because there, there is an editor and there are art directors and everybody has a vision for your book and you have to work together. And if you are really, you have something in your head and you really want to do it this way, then self-publishing may be the way to go. But self-publishing, you have to pay for everything yourself. Yeah. That's the flip side. Though with a publisher, you don't have to pay for anything. Yeah. That is, if a publisher comes to you and tries to charge you like a submission fee, oh, you Uh need to give us whatever, $100, so we'll we'll look at your manuscript you should run. That is totally unethical. Mm -hmm. You do not, with a traditional publisher, the only thing you might have to pay for or if you want to quote from another book or you want an illustration and the owner of that, of the copyright of that book or the illustrator wants a, per, they want a permissions fee, mm-hmm. but you don't, you cannot use the quote. Yeah. There's no, that that's a choice thing. The publisher pays for everything. They pay you. Interesting. Now I feel like we all are better people for knowing all this information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's so helpful. A lot of people want to read books. So I think this is a great. Thank you for and sharing they that. Do it. They should yeah. do it. So we, we need more books. Yes. More books. More books. Judica more says stories. write your book. Write your book. <laughs> write your book. 
Oh, gosh. Yay. Okay. Now we're going to go to our dish of the week. This is a very random thing. It popped into my head the other day about what we're going to talk about. I don't know why. So I was looking up like witchy stuff. <laughs> I was like, what? Okay. So we know, we all know that like witches and witchy people love an herb. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. We love herbs. I'm like, okay, which let's talk about an herb. We haven't done that in a long time. And for some reason I started looking at wormwood. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I grew it. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it, you can. It, it's easy to grow. I grew it as a potted plant. Okay. Yeah, people like, when, you, when I think of wormwood, actually the first thing that comes to mind is when I was in college, my roommate's boyfriend at the time decided that he was going to try to make absinthe. So he bought a bunch of wormwood and used, used I think it was vodka or something. Like yeah. He just like mixed it in and it was yeah. terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We did not hallucinate as we were all no. told we were supposed right. to. Um, <laughs> You're looking we were for all... euphoria and you just get a headache. Yeah. Yeah. We were all just, oh, this is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we all just went, we all just went to bed after that. So it looks really gross. Pernod? It's a French liqueur. Pernod? I've heard of Pernod. Yeah. Pernod is when absinthe became illegal. Mm. It's basically because absinthe the drink as it was originally done and it's not illegal anymore so you can get some but it's a blend of many herbs it's not yeah. just wormwood because wormwood is doesn't taste very good so you have to blend it with other things and the pernod is everything but the wormwood because when, oh yeah so supposedly it tastes pretty similar and you can cook with it it's like good with like seafood things mm. um, it's supposed to taste relatively like what absinthe used to taste like but you can okay. buy it now but you have to taste them because different manufacturers make different blends and some of them are better than others okay mm, okay you heard it here first folks but I, I like the herb itself the wormwood herb not as not just as a potion ingredient but because mm -hmm. it's extremely protective like yeah roots, you put it under your pillow if you have nightmares it, it, it guards you and it's pretty it has pretty leaves I like that whole Artemisia family of plants, wormwood yeah. and milkwort and tarragon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought because I was reading about wormwood, obviously, and then it said, oh, it tastes, it's a little licorice kind of taste. And I was like, oh, tarragon. I don't know how to actually what to cook tarragon with, but I grow it every single year. And it's in a lot of Southern French recipes. Okay. And they'll put it in fish soups or. Hmm. Okay. No, I'm not remembering. <laughs> years ago when i used to work in new york decades ago i worked near a french deli mm -hmm. and they would put tarragon into like salad tuna mm. salads and it was good okay. but i think it's the best tasting of mm. the artemisias mm -hmm. because wormwood is the bitter herb from the book of revelation super bitter it's almost inedible if you taste like a leaf it's not yummy <laughs> it's like, yeah either, but not quite as extreme but it's very bitter yeah you know, i the, don't do you remember like in the book of revelation the wormwood star goes into the waters and then the waters all become bitter um yes yes okay i didn't really i didn't make that connection before okay now yeah, i know that's the same wormwood okay that makes a lot of sense okay 
And you know what? You speak about like it's in the same family, like with mugwort. I I'll I've drank like I've drank. And my English is not good today, but <laughs> I've, had, <laughs> I've had mugwort tea, and like I've drank again. I had it for like the the effect of it, like feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but peppermint. You have to put a lot of mint into it because yeah, I don't like it. It's not good. And I remember years ago because of I was so obsessed with the Scott Cunningham books and it was like Rose can give you psychic dreams and stuff. So I remember getting roses, drying out the petals and drinking rose tea. And that also was terrible. I was like, Ugh, they, they all have been dented. I yeah. used to, years ago, I guess I'm old. <laughs> I used to work for, the, for what was then called the, oh, the Australasian College of Herbalism. And I okay. taught the aromatherapy course, the 101 mm. course. And the way they did that course, and you can do this for yourself at home, mm-hmm. is the course consisted of 40 essential oils because aromatherapy is the the ritual and therapeutic use of essential oils, which are plant extracts. Mm-hmm. And you would sniff, you would essentially get to know each of the oils one by one. You would dip a like a perfume stick into the bottle and you would smell it and then you smell it again in five minutes and then 10 minutes and then an hour what does mm-hmm. it smell like in six hours can you still smell it tomorrow you write down your notes and your reaction to it and you send it to the teacher and one of they don't do it anymore but one of the oils was essential oil of garlic mm. which is yeah the essential oil oh my god it has such a strong smell I like garlic, like to eat cook with garlic. Yeah. It is pungent. It is not. I tried to deworm my dog with it once. I put one drop, one drop on like his dog food and he didn't touch it. He walked out of the room. (laughs) He's no thank you. It is really strong. I, I, it, it never touched me, but that day, every time I walked into a room, people, people would leave. Mm. It smells terrible. They would walk out of the room. It never (laughs) even actually touched me. That's how strong it is. And so I would know people would send me their, it was a correspondence course. They would send me their lessons and then Mm -hmm. they would start talking about the garlic. Oh yes. It was a little strong. It was, (laughs) I knew they never opened that bottle. I knew they never opened that bottle. So it's like mugwort and wormwood. If you tell me, oh yes, it tasted okay. That's yeah. Okay. Not drink that. (laughs) It does not taste okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Speaking of dewormers, Wormwood actually gets its name from yeah. being historically a dewormer. So I was like, oh, funny you brought that up. Yeah, yeah, yes. really. Yeah, yeah. All at Mugwort, too. It's all they were used to get rid of vermin. Yes. And in early German medical texts, it's been noted that it was supposed to help get rid of intestinal worms. Yeah. Yeah. But people. I my dog. But. Yeah. But and now that they said they said modern research has confirmed that's one hundred percent correct. Like it did work, so people did use it for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think that we're all we we have a tendency to act like we're the only smart generation. Or oh yes, we know whatever. But we're all here because our ancestors ten thousand years ago kept us alive. Yeah, they weren't running to Dwayne Reed or CVS to. (laughs) They had to know. There had to be someone there who knew. Mm-hmm. I always think those are the original witches. 
The people 100%. who... 100%. Like, like the original, the people who created Huju, mm-hmm. we needed it. We yeah. needed it. And they went and people were migrating somewhere by choice or not by choice. And you would encounter plants and you needed to know what is going to kill you and what is going to heal you. Yes. What can you eat and what can poison an enemy with? Exactly. No. It's what's going to get rid of the worms? You have to know this. Yes, exactly. And you think of places like, I was thinking of places like the Amazon or like mm-hmm. different places in Australia. They have animals that excrete neurotoxins that the people back then knew and they were using like in right. certain parts of the Amazons, there's that frog. I forget the name of the frog, right. but right. it ha- it excretes like this neurotoxin on its skin. So the um, when they were having issues and they were using arrows, they would take their arrows and rub it on the skin of the frog and then they would shoot the yeah. arrows and kill people. So yeah, they, they, they knew what was going on. Like, oh, yeah. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they not only did they know what was going on, they knew how to extract it. Yes. Without without you know, dying. Yeah. Right. They weren't yeah, they weren't necessarily they were pretty smart our ancestors. No, I'm pretty sure they them. were smarter than us. I mean they, yeah. they could do look at all those fascinated by those like those ed- edifices or buildings where it's the summer solstice and the light comes in through here. Yes. It's perfect. And they're so old. I and know. They had that mathematical knowledge. And astronomical knowledge. They knew things, I think, that have been so lost. Yes. It's so, I forget now off the top of my head, but I think the Aztec calendar was like literally off by, I think, a day or two. And then the Babylonian time system was off by one one thousandth of a second. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. It's just, you're just like, wow, these people were so smart with way less technology than we have now. And they just knew what to do. It's amazing. I saw, now if you want to cast your chart, I I go to a website and I plug in the numbers and I get a chart. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw my astrologer, I saw him do it in his head. Yeah. Very few people can do that anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That is even when I, I love Moana. I love that movie. <laughs> the fact yeah. that these different groups of Polynesian people were navigating the Pacific Ocean. Is that crazy? Uh, <laughs> to fly from Tahiti to Hawaii. And you just and not get lost in the middle of this whole Yeah. The ocean and, and I know I can't remember exactly the route, but there's an area, I think it's, they call it Point Nemo. Point Nemo is the point in the world that is farthest away from any land. And it's out there in the Pacific Ocean. And I'm sure these people were going through it or near it. And they were just, okay. They were just like, oh, we're just going to use the stars to navigate millions of miles of ocean, not land, ocean. Yeah. And they just figured it out. And like, when you think about it, you're like, I remember when I had heard of this before, but when I saw it in Moana, not that I didn't believe it, I knew it was true, but I was like, let me investigate this. And the more I read, I was like, wow, these Polynesian people were amazing. (laughs) It's so cool that they were able to do this thousands of years ago and they just figured it out and then made a whole settlements all over these islands. They're all, it's astronomical, you know, by the stars, but also the, the legends that the shark brothers tell them. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I, I, I think it's true. It's so right. cool. How else, how else could they do it? Yeah. Cause, cause, because the stars are great at night. You could get really lost in the daytime. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's why earlier when you're talking about every culture has its ghosts and stuff. That's why I'm like, when I was young, I used to think to myself, it, this, some of this has to be true. It's totally fine if you probably are not listening to this podcast if you don't believe any of that's true. <laughs> I always think to myself, I'm like, every single culture in the world cannot be wrong. We can all not have been like, yeah, sometimes I just see spirits of dead people. And, and like, we're all lost it or we were all eating ergot poisoning it can't be all no yeah no no and the the whole ergot theory of salem people act like salem is the witch trials in salem or some freak occurrence they weren't mm-hmm. even the first witch trials in the colonies there, yeah there have been witch trials since ancient rome it's not all and they knew how to use ergot this in my book encyclopedia of witchcraft there's a section of ergot Mm-hmm. They they knew how to remove it, and they also midwives used it therapeutically. So mm-hmm. it's not okay in Salem. You had a bunch of Puritans who had cut themselves off from this stuff, but it, it's not the only witch trial. It's not the only case of a bunch of girls saying, "Oh yes, this so a specter came to me and yeah, and we want scientific explanations sometimes." For things that aren't scientific. Yeah. Exactly. And you know what? I'm going to... So I'm going to put my article on Wormwood because we're going to move on to our next section because everything you're saying is going into that. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Let's just go to the next section. So I'm going to do my plug, then we'll start talking about my next things. If you enjoy this show, keep listening to it, obviously. And you can follow me on all the, all the socials. Um, we're Dying with the Divine on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And if you really enjoy the show, please give us a rating. It helps a lot or a five star. Yeah. Five star rating or a review both help on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and wherever you listen, if you're able to give me a rating, if you want to give me a little tip, a little money, or you can, you don't have to, there's a link in the show notes. And if you have any suggestions for episodes, questions, comments, please email me at dine with the divine pod at gmail.com. Okay. So now we're going to go to our tea time. So tea times when we learn something, but today we're doing a little different because we have Judica here and she's written so many books about witchy stuff. So we're getting into just like, what does it mean to be a witch? And like a little bit of what that means here globally in our modern times. So the first thing I'll say about it is we've just gone over this. We talked about how like in every culture we have our different spiritual traditions, right? And That all comes from, I always think the first thing I think of is, since I'm a nurse, is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's how it starts, right? Because once people, yeah, once Neanderthals turn into Homo sapiens and Homo sapiens were like, okay, we've got this food thing down. We've got this uh, shelter thing down. We figured that out. Now we can think about the world and what it means. And that's when people started having spiritual traditions that's when and they also when people started having art music entertainment all that stuff because they had a society that ran so now that their basic needs are taken care of they can start doing all this other stuff and we've seen it all over the world starting mesopotamia they had their own spiritual rituals that people still in some people still research that today in every single place in europe every single place in the world every single place in the world yeah yeah spiritual tradition 
And then you were just talking about witch trials. We get to Europe in the mid ages, middle bleh, medieval ages, medieval times, I should say. I'm trying. I'm mixing up all my words to say dark ages slash middle ages. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm punchy. At this time, we have people, especially you think of the Inquisition. I feel like that's the biggest witch trial that everybody thinks of. I don't know. What do you think? That's always the thing is what do people think of when they think of witch trials? Mm -hmm. And witch panic, what we think of when we have a culture that is just terrified of spiritual power mm -hmm. or the unexplained or women. If there are control issues... There is the first, I think, documented witch, and a lot of this is in my book, Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, is, is mm -hmm. in ancient Rome. It's in pre-Christian Rome is not a friendly, is not a witch-friendly place. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really misogynist place. Women are the property of their fathers, their husbands. And there is a point associated with the cult of Dionysus, with the Maenads. There is a witch hunt there. And there are theories, and who knows, there are theories that what we consider that the stereotypical European witch derives from maenads who escaped and went into the forest. Mm -hmm. And back then, Europe was, continental Europe, was almost entirely covered by forest. Like, yeah. You wouldn't know it now, but yeah. back then. And then after... You start to see the first stirrings, 12th century, 13th mm -hmm. century, and then you have this huge panic, 14, 15, 16, and yes, the Inquisition, and very specifically the European Inquisition. What's mm -hmm. very interesting in all these, in the parts of Europe where they have ethnic and religious minorities, they're, if they have somebody else to pick on, they don't pick on witches. Well, the Spanish Inquisition it's not really doesn't really care too much about witches uh, you know yeah it was more like jewish people they were like get them out of here people, they're going yeah. after muslim people mm -hmm. they're going after people who they think are not sincere christians yeah um, that 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 is their obsession if you're a witch okay we'll give you like a couple hail marys and go home yeah um, <laughs> but but the rest of europe the regular inquisition but also martin luther when they have the protestant reformation he is really not friendly to the witches. No. So there are just witch trials. It's like tides and waves. Yeah. Like almost all of Europe. So you have these like the little forerunners in the 11th, 12th, 13th century. And then the last witch killings, of the last legal witch killings. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Because there are people, there are still legal witch hunts now. Just yeah. in different parts of the world. Yes. I would not bring your tarot cards to Saudi Arabia right now. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. Not, <laughs> a good, not a good idea. And in parts of, I don't think it's legal in rural India, but it happens. Like mm -hmm. Also, not a good place to say, oh, by the way, I'm a witch. Like, people understand that word in very different ways. Mm -hmm. There are, in parts of Africa also, there are the witch camps where people have escaped witch hunts have gone to seek refuge mm -hmm. and yeah and people who are practicing traditional religions 
practices where women are in power. Um, mm-hmm. There's also stuff. You see just constant themes. Um, when medicine becomes, when there's a legal system for it, when you have to get a license, then mm-hmm. the unlicensed herbalists and midwives. And yeah. So in Europe, like a woman couldn't get licensed. Mm-hmm. So if she was going to practice, she had to practice unlicensed. But if yeah. she passes them, so that means that it's a whole like catch 20. What is it? Catch 21? Catch 22? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yes. One of those catches in the 20s. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have a choice but to do it this way, but to do it that way, you're going to be a witch and it's going to be illegal. It's not good. I no. Mean, yeah. I, I would say parts of America today. Um, mm-hmm. And also reproductive rights when women want to have control of their own bodies and their own fertility. Mm-hmm. That is often just automatically labeled witchcraft. Yeah, there's a lot of places and a lot of documented, even this even happened on Outlander, everybody, I love Outlander, (laughs) happened to Claire on Outlander that she was like pretending to be a doctor and she would write in the local like pamphlet newspaper that they had and she was telling women how to like what to do if you don't want to get pregnant and like when to not have your, oh, if you get your period this time, wait a week, don't have your, don't have sex at this point so you don't get pregnant. And then all the men folk found out and they lost their minds. They kidnapped her and called her a witch. Oh, this wow. also happened at a different time. They called her poor Claire yeah. has been through a lot on Outlander. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but yes, reproductive rights is one of you see a lot of accounts, a lot of in Europe documented accounts of people who were helping women and they were usually women herbalists yeah. who knew what the woman should take to abort a child and then they were labeled a witch and they were arrested and around the world to be a witch means a lot of different things especially from my own experience in like western african culture there's like healers and there's like people who do traditional stuff and there's like good ones and bad ones and they have different names but like the good ones it's oh yeah that's just like the person down the road or the lady who brings herbs and runs it on your leg and any who heals us right yeah and then the witch is usually just somebody who either maybe does those things but is mean or everybody just doesn't like that person's right yeah so they call that person a witch and a lot of times the other like you were talking about also before it it, we talked about uh granny women in appalachia at one point on this podcast and that they were doing the same thing they were just they were rural around the world it's all around the world. They were rural yeah. healers in the Appalachian Mountains for families who couldn't afford or they couldn't even get to the doctor. Like, geographically, it was just or, too far. Or maybe there was no doctor. Or there was no doctor. Or, and I remember yeah, when well, I was reading about them, yeah. the doctors would charge them more. Like, so much. Where these A lot of the people up there, they were mountain people. A lot of them didn't have a ton of money. So the doctors would be like, oh, plus my normal doctoring fee? I'm charging you an extra, probably at that point it was like $10, which now would be like $100. They're like, we're charging you an extra 100 because I have to come up the mountain and so far. So people were like, what? So they had the local lady. It's also, even beyond that, there's this assumption that a doctor, that all doctors are sincere and mm-hmm. they are loving people who only want to heal everyone. Yeah. But in fact, there are a lot of doctors and there's a whole history of how, and the topic is too huge. How many doctors have 
sterilized women after giving birth without telling them. How many in the Romani culture, in the Native American culture, Black culture, all over. Mm -hmm. It's not a, yes. it's, it's, it's not like an isolated thing. Mm -hmm. um, you, or doctors who don't respect their clients. Yes. Um, and maybe you're happier going to someone who, is, you think they're on your side and they want you to get better. It, especially, I think, in the United States, I know a lot of people... I grew up in an area with a lot of Hispanic people. And also when I was younger, grew up in an area with a lot of Chinese people. And a lot of people went to their native doctor. even So if they had a problem, sometimes they'd go to a regular Western medicine doctor. But a lot of them would go to a Chinese herbalist or... Yeah, or, yeah it's great. Or um, in the Hispanic yeah. uh, communities, a lot of them just knew like a woman who like knew what to do. So, yep. and either it was like a supplement or that's what they used because it was more helpful for them. I don't mean negative because there are, you know, a ton of wonderful self-sacrificing physicians out there. Western of course. Yeah, yeah. So this is not all doctors, but. Um, of course. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> but, but, I mean, but I mean, it's physicians who are on the forefront of eugenics, mm -hmm. physicians who, you know, Nazi doctors are scary things. Mm -hmm. um, they're Fair. so... There are a lot of scary stories with physicians. So mm -hmm. on everything, I think depending, it depends where you come from and it depends who your people are. Are you from people who trust physicians because of course you trust them? Or do you come yeah. from a background where, oh, maybe that's certainly my background. I, I don't come from a trusting background. You have to, <laughs> yes. who are you and what are you practicing and how... How do you see me? Like, how mm -hmm. as a patient? Am I worth yes. saving or am I somebody you just want to? Am I just a test case? It's so true. And it, it's so, it's so scary. It can be very scary to think about all that stuff. But I totally no, understand. I feel that way. Yeah. But too. Do you do I think you do have to be aware of it. And I think we're seeing oh, yeah. it now with, with the coronavirus where a lot of people think, oh, it's gone away. It's over. It's not over. Yeah. And, and not all doctors are giving us the best advice exactly and i feel yeah and i feel that very much way about even i i'm a black woman and i'm like when i think yeah. about maybe i might have a child and it makes me it panics me to hear all these stories and they're like oh one in four black women are like dying now because their doctors are just ignoring them and it's so scary and i also am not well my mom's a nurse so it was like you, and not you taking to be... the person, not taking the patient seriously. That when That's the problem. Treating you like you're just, you're not telling them the truth or you're not. Yeah. And even they've yeah. done so many studies where they found that at least I know this for the black community in America, that a lot of doctors literally perceived that black women had a higher pain tolerance for right. some reason. Yeah. So it was like. So they, don't they were just drugs. <laughs> yeah, it's like when black women complained of pain, they were just like, ah. Or, and they also found that they thought that they were more dramatic. So they were like, oh, they just wouldn't believe them because they thought they were just hysterical. Women were so hysterical um, all the time. It's like, it's just, oh, it's just madness. It's, yeah. scary. it's, it's a very scary thing. It is. So it's, it's so contradictory too, isn't it? Because if yeah. your tolerance to pain is higher and you're complaining about pain... It must be really bad. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, 
And it's very weird. It's like you should be bringing. You should be bringing the painkillers. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's very weird. Um, some commonalities around people. I'll just go through this quick. But commonalities around people who say they are witches are really. There's a lot of people who just like the aesthetic, and that's fine. You can like the aesthetic. It's okay. uh, It's fine. Um, (laughs) And sometimes that's that's the gateway in the aesthetic. It is. It is, and that's totally fine. We love witchy aesthetic. People who are like practitioners of any sort of magic, they usually have a very strong connection with nature. Mm-hmm. They usually want to have a connection with their ancestors and mm-hmm. other worldly spirits. They usually are really, like we talked about before, we're really into cleansing stuff mm-hmm. constantly. We're yeah. really into that. And we use herbs, we use cards, we use rocks shiny beautiful rocks and we use uh, all sorts of fun stuff metal 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 cleansing i love metal yeah metal's great i love it i love it yes i love metal i also love when i'm like feeling a little lazy some salt salt is the best salt Salt is is when when you only have five minutes or ten minutes (laughs) and you're so tired if you need to plan salt is the best i know i love a good like salt in the shower, yeah. I'm just cleansing myself and thinking about washing the day away. I love yeah. that. So those are some things. We have very uh, nice witchcraft talk. Ooh, that was fun. So animals too. I think even mm-hmm. if people who are afraid of animals, just images of animals or animal spirits or yes. animal thoughts. Um, and those of us who are not afraid, like the actual animals, but the, the other living beings of our world. Yes. And the animals and the trees. Yeah, we're usually really into that. We love all that stuff. And usually people who are into, like, different types of magic or things like that, we usually recognize the living part and the spirit in everything that we touch. And it makes, I always say, my friend was like, man, my friend who was in my shamanic practitioner program, she says, it's once you pop the fun, don't stop. Because once you learn all this stuff, you're like, how could I ever live without it? It makes the world seem so more alive. It's like one you know? scene you can't unsee. Yeah, it's, you can't. You never can. And, and your life is never the same. And you just, there's beauty in everything, like no matter how yeah. much pain there is. But yeah, I could go on about that forever. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. Okay. So we'll get to our last. This all worked out because our last, I didn't want to go crazy with our last section because there's too much to go into. Um, but we're going to, since we're doing a witchy theme today, we're talking about a witch that I don't think gets enough credit. So this is our story time section. I'm going to tell you about her. We're talking about Cersei. I feel like Cersei doesn't get a lot of credit because we've no. talked about, yeah, we've talked about Hecate. Yeah. I love Hecate. Don't get me wrong. We love right. her. But Cersei doesn't get a lot of credit and she's out here turning everybody into animals. Speaking of animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and selectively. So she's the right animals for the right person. Exactly. Which is wild to me. Like, honestly, right. Cersei, who is Cersei? And I got a lot of this from your book, Judica. So um, if you you hear words that are familiar, it's because it's from her book. Um, (laughs) This part, I think, though, is from Wikipedia. Um, Cersei is an enchantress and a minor goddess in Greek mythology and religion. In most accounts, Cersei is described as the daughter of the sun god Helios and the oceanid nymph Percy. Cersei is renowned for her vast knowledge of potions and herbs, and through the use of her magic wand and staff, she would transform her en- enemies or anybody who pissed her off into animals. And like Judica just said, it, it would be like the appropriate animal. So she feels like you're acting like 
a horse's ass. She's turning into a horse. Whatever <laughs> she thinks. Yeah, the lions. If, if you have a lion soul, mm-hmm. which is better than me. I know. I would just turn everyone to a pig probably because I'm, I'm not that creative. Um, <laughs> see, she's one of the most powerful witch goddesses in Greek mythology. And um, in my opinion, she's a little bit, I'm not, she's like on the scale, she's related to Hecate in a way. Like they're like distant cousins, but she's, I feel like even Hecate is a little chiller. Like she, I'm talking about Hecate, you guys know what I'm talking about. She's calmer than Serena. Like she's not like as aggressive. There are a few different female sorcerers. Circe, oh, I can't say this, Fasanthony, Fasanthony, okay. And Medea. P-A-S-I-P-H-A-E. Pacifae. Pacifae, sorry. Oh, I was just thinking about her. Because mm. there is that family of Circe and Hecate. But pa- Pacifae is interesting. We're going to have to do her on a different episode. That's going to yeah, be another no, one. Yeah, in my book. You'll see. Okay, you, I'm going to do that tonight. Book. She yeah. has <laughs> not so PG-13 stuff about Pacifae. Ooh, I can't wait. Okay, I'm going to read it about Pacifae. I'm excited. I'm going to do that tonight. Yeah. Cersei is also regarded, she's regarded out of the three of them as the most powerful. And she's able to concoct really powerful potions. She's also said to have the power to hide the sun and the moon as she wanted. The sun is her dad. So all she has to do is be like, dad, I need you to hide so people see how powerful you I am. She's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So she was also known, which is, this is also a really big deal. She's also known to be able to call upon the assistance of, like, darker deities, like Nyx. We talked about Nyx before and how Nyx is a badass because even Zeus is afraid of her. So Nyx, Chaos, and Hecate. Yeah. (laughs) She can call upon Chaos. That's, like, a pretty big deal. One of the best, the way people really know Cersei is from the Odyssey. She's in Homer's Odyssey. And when Odysseus, who's the main character of the Odyssey, he visits her island. She owns an island. Yeah, she's that rich. And she has a big old stone mansion there. Pretty cool. So he visits the island of a... I can never say it. Sorry. But it's A-E-A-E-A. And sometimes it's A-I-A-I-A. Because of transliterating from Greek. It's, it's yeah, Greek. It's, yeah. yeah, it's a lot. So we're just going to call it... The Greeks thought that vowels had power. And her, her, the name wow. of the island is all vowels. That, I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because different people mm. think different things. Some people think odd numbers are more powerful. Yeah. Even, or this is more powerful, this animal. But for the ancient Greeks, they thought vowels had power. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. I love this. I love this. why I like this podcast. So we learn something. She, she gets a hold of Odysseus's crew. They land there. And then she changes most of them into pigs. Oh, my God. That's not good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She's like, okay, here's the thing. This is what happened, okay? So she was there, and Odysseus came with his men, and she turned them into pigs. But what happened was before he – I don't know the whole story, guys. I didn't want to make it a long thing, so I'm just telling you the cliff notes. Before he got there, Hermes – Hermes with the wings? Hermes was like, hey – Listen, I used to date Cersei, and she's not playing around. So, <laughs> so you better be nice to her, or else she's gonna train you to pick. And also, I'm gonna give you this magical herb antidote, so keep it in your pocket. She, if she gets mad, she's turning into an animal. And he's do not reject her if she tries to hit on you. She's all about it. 
So when they get there, Odysseus is like super nice to her. So she doesn't turn him into a pig. Then they became lovers and he just stayed there for a year and had a kid with her. But then he like abandons her later on. It's like a whole thing. We'll talk about it later. So she also teaches Odysseus a whole bunch of magic. Also teaches him how to go to Hades and interview dead people and come back. <laughs> okay. I guess it's a skill that's good to have in your back pocket. And he probably wouldn't have made it home without her magic and him loving to her teaching him all this magic. She's apparently eternally beautiful and her eyes are literally shining like the sun because her dad is literally the sun. She also fell in love with this other guy. She falls in love a lot and she's one of those girls who like once she breaks up with somebody, she's not going to let you go be happy quickly. She's going to punish you. You hurt her feelings. But this one, I didn't like this because she's not always girl's girl because she fell in love with this guy named Golkis. He's a minor sea deity, but Golkis didn't know, didn't really love her at all. He loved this Silica, who was a beautiful maiden. And then Cersei found out that Silica was the apple of Golkis's eye and she was pissed. So she turned the water that Silica bathed in into poison and it made her a sea monster. I was like, that's not nice. That's She's not girl's girl sometimes. I think the love just makes her so crazy. So I'm going to forgive her. But she does this a couple other, not exactly the same thing, but she turns a guy into a woodpecker one time. She turns a bunch of dudes into lions, like Judica said before, turns them into pigs. Whatever she sees fit, that's her thing. She was venerated. She had her own like kind of group, her own cult. She was venerated in Mount Circio in the Italian peninsula, which took its name after her uh, mm-hmm. because of the legends. Um, it said that there's still a shrine in that small town, or there was at least for a long time. And pe- there's a bowl kept there that people think did belong to Odysseus. Um, and she was also probably venerated along with Venus. Venus is like the Roman ver- version, but they think they found some places in even in Italy where she is venerated alongside of venus that's a quick and dirty version about cersei we're going to get more into her stories at a later date because it's pretty wild what she was doing out here with jason and medea there's a lot going on and that's what i wanted to tell you about cersei she's a witch that she doesn't get enough credit for how badass she is even though sometimes she was doing too much and like i said i got most of this from chuka's book i love how i'm talking to you about what you wrote But the women, oh. I think that's from the Wikipedia. I wouldn't call her a minor goddess because mm. first yeah, probably she's, from she's not going to like it. But, yeah, um, I probably should have taken that back. Sorry, Cersei. <laughs> I don't speak Greek. I don't speak Greek. So I, I'm, I'm getting this from other sources. Mm-hmm. But there is, I read someplace that the word that is used to describe Cersei, it, it describes her in the same language that they describe the other Greek goddesses like Hera. Oh, so, okay. She's just Yeah, that a, was a Wikipedia thing. thing. No, I think it, that's mm-hmm. a, that's what people think because mm-hmm. they think that only the ones on Mount Olympus are yeah. the Greek goddesses. But we, we, we've got some great goddesses who choose to live on Earth too. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to Greek goddesses, now what I'm like, I've been doing a couple different ones. I think we need to elevate Cersei and I think we need to elevate yep. Nyx. Because yeah. I'm like, what, the Nick, they're Never. bad asses. Like, yeah. we don't talk about them enough. I'm glad Hecate's up with us because she deserves it. But let's yeah. get the other ones. Like, we're, we're talking yeah. about Zeus all the time. Like, Aphrodite's fine. Don't get me wrong. She's great. But come on. <laughs> yeah. There's, 
There's um, other good ones too. I think the witchy goddesses sometimes just are just a little bit disrespectful because they're witchy. But yeah. That's the power. Exactly. They don't take any nonsense at all. No. Yeah. No. No. They're turning into a pig. So. It's just <laughs> the her- she really is the heroine of the Odyssey because without her, I mean, he'd still be like shipwrecked on some island. Exactly. Like, you know, teaches him how to get home. And I don't remember. I remember reading like parts of the Odyssey when I was in school. And I remember, I don't remember exactly the parts. I can't tell you. All I remember is not liking Odysseus. I thought he was a jerk. Like, he's not, he's well, not that likable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this guy sucks. Why did they write the whole book about there's a, there's a television adaptation. I want to say Bernadette Peters plays Cersei. There's really? Cersei. Oh my god! Yeah, it's good. I'll find it. Um, yeah. There's Cersei. There's Calypso, and I yeah. he ends up in Calypso's island afterwards. And I love Calypso too. I like Calypso. I remember liking and, uh, Calypso, thinking she was cool. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember that. And they're both with this TV, and they're just both great. I want to say Bernadette Peters is Cersei, and I cannot remember. She was Miss America, and then there was a scandal. She had to resign. But she, oh, Vanessa Williams? She's Calypso. Oh, oh it's really I'm gonna good. I'm going to find it. She's great. I'm going to find that and put it in the show notes okay. for sure. Yeah. This brings us to the end of our podcast. Oh, today. that went so fast. Thank I know. You. <laughs> oh God, it's fun. Time flies when you're having so much fun. Judica, do you wanna just tell people if they can find you anywhere on the internet or if they're like you're doing events, where's the best place to find out what you're doing? I should tell you my website, but it's down and I haven't had a chance <laughs> to fix it yet. So one of these days, uh, which is my name, JudicaIllis.com, and one of these days it will be back up. So mm-hmm. depending on when you're listening to this, I, well, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter. I don't know how much longer that's going to last, but, <laughs> but today I'm on Twitter. Um, but but Facebook and Instagram are probably the best places to find me. I'm doing two events in the fall. I'd like to teach some virtual classes in 2024. That's my plan to start teaching some smaller, not expensive virtual classes. When I do events with a lot of people, like the two events I'm doing in the fall, it's not just my event. It's, it's a whole weekend with a lot of different uh, and, and great speakers, wonderful speakers. Yeah. And it'll be archived at least for a while. There's one in October. There's one in November. And then we'll see what I'm teaching next year. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yes. Thank you. This is, this is a pleasure. Again, I'm been fangirling this whole time. Oh, I was so excited to talk thank to you. you. I was like, hey, it's so nice. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I just want to thank you, Judica, again. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Again, this is Dying with the Divine, and you can listen to it on Inst- you can listen to it wherever you find your podcast. It's free. And we can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. You could give us a rating or a review that's always super helpful and if you want to email me and tell me anything if you have any suggestions or you have a comment about what we talked about any i'm always up for extra information everybody if i said something you're like oh i wish you would mention it tell me and i'll mention it the next episode i promise also if you want to follow me ashley i'm sankofa hs on instagram and sankofa healing sanctuary on facebook sankofa hs is s-a-n-k-o-f-a-h-s 
And thank you everybody for listening and tune in next week for another fun episode. And I'll see you all later. Bye.